Hi, I'm Ethna Shortall and you're listening to In Conversation With. Hello folks and welcome back to In Conversation With. I'm Gavin Kelly and I'm joined by my co-host Colin McDonald. How are you doing? We're in Drumcondra today, not our usual DCU setting. No, well yeah, just down the road. Just down the road. Short bus journey away. Um, we're actually at the home of author and journalist Ethna Shortall. How are you doing? Hello, welcome to my home. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for inviting us and thank you to my dear mother Anne at home who set this up through Common Connections. She's very good friends with your Anne Sally. Mm, which um, I didn't know until you arrived at my house, but I have yeah. heard of your mom. Yes. I have heard Sally talk about her. Um, yeah. She has a lovely shopping mall for Please go buy it and help me get through college. Sure. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so we'll start off. Uh, we'll start off actually with uh, another common connection we have, which is DCU. Mm-hmm. So you studied journalism there. I did. Um, I, I was just saying before we started recording that it was four years when we did it, and it's three now. Yeah. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. yeah, and like so, and I think they lost like uh, shorthand, which is actually a very useful thing to learn to do. I don't think they do that anymore, or they they. I know they stopped after we left for a while. Anyway, I think they still don't do it. And also um, the semester abroad. So we went, I went to West Virginia for four months and I think they don't go anywhere now. Yeah, I think that's maybe where the year was lost. Was yeah. The... Which, I mean, look, maybe you don't learn a lot uh, to do with the course, but I mean, it's a bit of a wishy-washy course. Anyway, I think any um, humanities course can be, and it's, it's kind of more what you put into it. So, but that was brilliant. Like, what a brilliant experience just to live somewhere yeah, did else you for four months. Did you, know? you enjoy your time in DCU then? Yeah, I did. Um, Only a short, uh, another, another short drive up the road. Yeah, I didn't at first. Um, I'm trying to remember now. I didn't in first year. And I know I still hung around with all that. Because I'm from Dublin. Like, it didn't... I think if you move, if you physically move to university, it marks a new phase in your life. Exactly. But I still lived at home for the first couple of years of university because I... I mean, I grew up near where I live now, and really, it was like half an hour to get to college to walk, you know, mm. so there was no point in moving out. And I think I still hung around in first year with all my home friends, and like they were in Trinity and NCD, and I hung around there more than DCU. And I don't think I fully embraced being in DCU that year. Like, I think it took a while, but then friends that had moved up and were living on campus, I felt like they more, mm. they were instantly into it. Um, but as it went on, I did enjoy it. I don't know that the course, like, I'm glad I did the course, and ultimately because of work placement. That's the thing that was yeah. most benefit. Like, it's all about getting a good work placement, I thought. But I have feckle hours. I don't know what the case is now, but like, I think 10 we can relate that way. Yeah, we yeah. can. I think it's 10 that we have this enough. 10 hours. Um, yeah. Well, that's just for yeah. our own communications course. Yeah, and I, I think ours was about that, you know. I don't know many third year journalists, but I know one second year who said she only has like 12. Mm. So. Yeah, I think it was something like that. And like, um, um, so that was great, but like, and I did use my time well in things that weren't really to do with the course, but like, I read a lot. And I remember going a lot to the galleries, art galleries in Dublin, um, and particularly the National Gallery in the UK Lane, but like Emma and museums. And I ultimately, when I became a journalist, became an arts correspondent. So I feel like even though it wasn't a straight part of my education, that actually mm. that kind of free time, if you use it well, I mean, I also used it not well, but you know, if you use part of That's it well. That's just part of the college. Yeah, course, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and I didn't drink for the first, I didn't drink till I was like 19. I didn't drink for the first couple of years of college, which was rare as well. Um, and probably use my time better in the years before I started drinking than yeah. in the years after I drank. But um, no, I did enjoy it. I loved college. I loved the summers. I went away every summer. Um, is the reason that you were kind of home for college is why you travelled so much then? 
Mm. I mean, lived in Paris and yeah, I well yeah when I was in when I was in college, I like one summer I went for the four months to France and we camped for four months along the Atlantic coast because it was really cheap. Mm. Um. And it was a way of like eking it out and being gone for the whole summer. And then I did like the Camino Santiago one year and like other stuff. But when I finished college, I worked for a year in the Sunday Times. I mean, I was only 21 when I started there. So it felt like a lot. Like it's, it was a great opportunity. But like I was so aware every week that I could libel someone, like that I could cost them millions. And like when I was 21, that was so stressful to me. And, uh, I that year, that first year I worked there, I get this is too much information, but um we used to have news meetings on uh Wednesdays, right? And so Wednesday mornings. And so oh no no, sorry, we had them on Tuesdays, we had them on Wednesdays now, but anyway, we had them on Tuesdays, yes. And so I used to call them diarrhea Tuesdays because I would be so stressed about trying to come up with stories <laughs> to pitch that I would like literally have diarrhea. Like it was, I was that stressed about the job. <clears throat> I wanted it so much, but I was so I felt like I was so young. And on Friday, so diary Tuesdays and sweaty Fridays because Fridays was like when I had to be all the stories had to come yeah. together. No one was going to answer your phone call on Saturday, and I would be like perspiring sitting at my desk because I wanted it to work out. But anyway, after a year, I left and I went to live in Paris for a year and a bit because I wanted to learn French and parlez-vous français? Yeah, we. That's all I know of French. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, I do, but um, not as well as I did when I was there, obviously. Yeah. But I kept it up for a few years, like actively kept it up, but not so much now. But I do uh, speak good enough, okay, French. But um, yeah, and and I just wanted to live somewhere else. And like, again, I just went to art galleries all the time. I drank wine and fell in love and all those things. And I wrote a little bit of journalism while I was there for the Irish Times and a little bit for the Sunday Times as well. And... When I came back, I went back into the Sunday Times, but the recession had happened, like really happened while yeah. I was in Paris. And so I remember like in the Sunday Times that first year, I was in four days a week and I was paid like, was I paid 180 euro a day, which is good now, it was really good then. <clears throat> and what was I paid? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, and um, I remember when I left, I'd only been there a year and I was a kid and like compared to the people working there. But my editor, who's still the editor there, Frank Fitzgibbon, um, took me out for this big fancy pants lunch in a really fancy restaurant and I was like, come back. Like it was the good times, you know? And then when I came back from Paris, like austerity had hit. Like I remember in our own house, my parents' house, they used to use brand name shampoo. And when I came back from Paris, they were using Tesco name shampoo. And I was like, oh, this is the recession in our house. And the same thing had happened with newspapers. And so I... I, I, I went to the Sunday Times again and asked them could I come back but they didn't have um, the money that they had had when I left or whatever and so I went back like two days a week then three days no first of all I think it was just pitching freelance then two days a week then three days a week and finally finally bit by bit grew up again but yeah so I left to go to Paris sorry I've gone off subject and when I came back everything was different Fantastic. Um, yeah, so we'll talk about probably what you're most prominently known for, which is your, your writing your books. Mm. Um, so was writing and novels and stuff, was that from an early age something that interested you? Mm, I thought I was going to be a poet, so, okay. but then I found out they don't make much money. Uh, unless you're Seamus Heaney, um, but I'm not Seamus Heaney, so um, 
I think the first thing I ever had published was in the Messenger. Do you know this? It's a religious magazine. Yeah, a little red. Yeah, a little one. red yeah, magazine. Yeah. yeah. And so my granny used to get it, and she still does. And there was a little corner, like a couple of pages, sorry, in it, like children's corner, you know. And there was a competition to write a poem, and so I entered, and it was about St. Patrick's Day. And I just remember it was about the parade, and it rhymed. Anyway, uh, 120 quid, um, <laughs> which was great. And that was like my first... You hit the big time. Pay. Yeah, my first paid work. I think I was 11 or 12. So um, and maybe that's why I thought I would be a poet. Um, but I I always loved writing. I was more before... More than that, though, I always loved reading. Like, I, I've just had a baby uh, eight weeks ago now, and... I started reading again last week. So that's seven weeks, I think, is the longest period in my life I've ever gone without reading a book. Um, I just always read. And I always said I would read a book. I used to have a sort of... I'm trying to hear the baby screaming in the background. Um, but don't worry, his father's looking after him. I haven't just left him. Um, the, I, I was going to say... Um, the, oh, can't just reading, general. Reading... Reading, writing, yeah, oh yeah. I wanted to write, and I, um, I, I used to have this obsession in general. And going to Paris really cemented it that, like, if you didn't achieve things young, it wasn't worth achieving them. Now I don't believe in this at all anymore, but I used to. I used to think if you don't do it young, what's the point? It's not impressive. You're just like everyone else. This sort of um, ambition thing in my head, and so I was going to write a novel by the time I can't remember what age it was. I think it was twenty six or something. Uh, anyway, 26 came and went and I had not written a book. So I set myself a new, more realistic milestone of 30. And, but I'm quite risk adverse, like um, uh, now I'm kind of cautious. And so I didn't want to just quit the job and try and write a book because I might not make any money from it. So once I had, I was working in Sunday Times for years before they made me staff. And once they made me staff, you had to be there, I think three years and then you could take it unpaid absence like right. three or four months and then when you come back your job would be there so I did that I took three or four months and I went to London and I wrote a book and that's how I started writing and I went to London because I thought if the book is shite or no one publishes it because I didn't tell anyone I was writing it if it's shite and no one publishes it at least I'll have done something else with that time off like gone to London you yeah. know lived somewhere else and it wouldn't have been a complete waste of time. So, so when writing the first book, after what was the, the themes, the inspirations that mm. led you to writing it? Well, I read everything. Absolutely every kind of book. Like, I read really um, dense, modernist literature. I read really fluffy rom-coms. I read sci-fi, I read crime, I read everything. And so I knew I wanted to write a book, but I didn't even know what genre, because usually people write in the genre that they read. Um, and so I had two ideas and one was sort of more literary and it was based on my time in Paris and one was this idea for a rom-com that I'd had which I ultimately ended up writing which was I was on an airplane once I was going back to Paris to visit friends and I remember um, basically some good looking man sitting beside me and just imagining the potential for matchmaking on a plane like and if you put two single people together would they talk now I would never talk to this good looking man because I would have been mortified um, but the idea of it and so I had this idea of a flight attendant on the ground who was matchmaking people by putting them seating together on the on the plane you know mm. and so I had that idea and I was between these two ideas at the time and I wrote the first chapter of both and I gave them to my boyfriend and two friends and just got them to pick which one 
to go with. And two of them said the rom-com and one said the more literary idea. Like that's literally how I decided, that really decided the course of my life. Like these uh, people making this arbitrary decision. I don't know if they know the impact they've had. But anyway, so I went with this, um, I wrote a rom-com, it was called Love in Row, Love in Row 27. And um, yeah, I guess I wanted to have a good time writing it. The Paris story would have been based on my time there and not all of which was positive. Um, and so I wanted to write something fun. Um, and so that's that's what I did and I gave myself the time that I was in London to do a first draft uh, but like I didn't know if it would be published you know like uh, loads of people write books and they never go anywhere and lo- lots of journalists do a lot of journalists not all but a lot of journalists that want to write books mm. and not only published but did very well mm-hmm. um, published in I believe 13 languages um, the option rights from NBC Universal I mean Mm -hmm. that must have been huge for you seeing that all come in yeah it was I mean um it was like because so the first place I I got an agent right and I was a bit obsessed about I didn't want it just to be published in Ireland or just to happen in Ireland because I had a bit of a reputation like through journalism and certain people um in the arts world would have known who I was and I didn't want someone to publish my book thinking, okay, we'll be able to get a couple of hundred sales or whatever based on, you know, that she has some platform through the Sunday Times. So I, I went abroad to look for an agent. I, I went to one person in here, but I'm in Ireland, but I mainly went to the States. And so my agent is Liz and she's in the States. I've actually never met her still. But she, um, she rang me when she read my manuscript and decided to represent me. And like she said hello is this Ethne and I was like oh brilliant <laughs> she doesn't know she doesn't give a shit who I am she doesn't even know how to pronounce my name like yes this is the woman for me Ethne um but so, she, has she since learned no I, I corrected her yeah, yeah. I corrected her yeah 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 yeah. there have been a few things lost in translations like um well, I'll come back to that but like publishing in the states is very funny they do not get Irishisms at all but um so Liz took me on and then she submitted it um, and actually that first book didn't get published in the States. It got published in loads of other places, but not in America, which I was kind of bummed about. But it was so kind of bizarre that I had a US agent. But you know, we sold it to the UK, Atlantic Books, an imprint there called Corvus bought it. And that was fine. I got a bit of money. I wouldn't, wasn't going to be leaving my job anytime soon. Um, but it was still great. And I just couldn't believe someone was going to publish it. But when it really took off is when they went into the foreign markets and sold it, which is something when you're writing a book, well, I anyway never realized was a thing, mm. like translations. It's kind of just like free money, you know, because you've already written the book and then they just, they translate, it's something to do with you and they give you a little bit more. And that was when, I mean, it was brilliant sort of for your self-belief, but also made it start to seem like it could be a viable career. Yeah. Um, and so Germany particularly was huge for it, still is. And yeah, I was going to say, is there any country where you're particularly like, well, they're reading it, reading it there? Mm, yeah. Well, Germany just did really well. They put a lot into marketing it. Um, they um, teamed up with a Luft- Lufthansa, the German airline. Mm. Was it Lufthansa? Mm. Okay, a German airline. I'm actually not sure which one. And they put the book in row seven, 27 of all the flights, like as a marketing gimmick, you know? Fantastic, yeah. Yeah, which was a good idea because people put it on social media and, you know. Like, I wasn't really aware that it was happening. Um, and then they kind of sent on the, the stuff to me. Um, like, that was great. Um, like, look, lo- lots of countries. I mean, like, it's... I'm relatively well-travelled when it comes to Europe, but, like, I haven't been to places it's published in. Like, um, it's published in Latvia. I've never been to Latvia, you know. 
but I never thought about that. It's been to, uh, it's in Norway, I haven't been there. Um, it's not published in France, which I'm annoyed about. Uh, not the next goal. I, I just want to publish in France because that's the only language I could I actually speak, so I could <laughs> understand the translation. Um, but none of my books are published Oscar, in France. No, no. I don't know. Does, do many books get... I yeah. don't think I don't so, think no, no. I think David Williams has been translated. There's a few. I work, or in, I work in a bookshop back at home. Do you know the book centre in Wolford City? Oh my God, I love that bookshop. Yeah, that's where it's I work. It's amazing. Right? Yeah. I hear, yeah, I get that a lot. That's one of Ireland's best bookshops. Well, there you go. Yeah. My manager will be very pleased to hear right. that. No, she she, is, she listens to the podcast, okay. so she'll, be very, she'll probably take that out now and put it up on. It's such a gorgeous space. It's so tall and like the cafe is Massive, yeah. yeah. It's but, a short clip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm getting commission for any sales that we make over the weekend. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, we do have certain like certain books, like very popular books, like your Harry Potter's and stuff. They're also oh, yeah. translated into Irish. More kids books, your, right? Yeah, like under the Hawthorn Tree. That series, I think we have in Irish. Um, the Bible, I think. Oh, um, right. Very few. Actually, we've been getting a lot of like people asking for translated books we don't do any like people coming in asking for a german novel spanish novel we, oh. we wouldn't do that at all would you could you order them in we could probably order them in but like they're only there for a very finite time usually so oh they're they tourists, would, tourists like yeah mm. um that seems like a niche ask god yeah i mean we do like we do get we can get book most books really um this is not an advertisement for the book center by the way they don't actually sponsor this podcast brackets yet um <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to cut this out. And you're a great employee. Too. Yeah, no, yeah, the best. We we have been talking to the ownership about possible management and cut. All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Edna, your first novel very successful, but there's always this talk of you know the sophomore effort. You know there can be pressure. The did, difficult second album. Yes. Yeah. Did you have any trouble with that? Um. See, my boyfriend and close friends would say that I have like, it's like childbirth or something. Like it's actually horrific, painful. Like, okay, it's all relative. It's right in the book. But it's, uh, but then you forget about it when, you, when the thing is finished. So in my head, I would say to you, no, it was all fine. But I know that they would disagree and say that it was not easy and you didn't know what you were doing for ages. Um, but the story, so the second book was Grace After Henry. And the story for that I had almost immediately. Um, I know I wrote it quite quickly um, and I wrote a lot of it in Mayo. My parents have a house um, sort of rurally in Mayo and I go there to write on my own for a couple of weeks at a time. One of those frustrated artists that locks themselves away. Yeah, well, it's not like, it's not that rural because it, you can walk to the nearest town. Right, uh, yeah, so, yeah, you yeah. know, it's not that. It's just compared, compared to here. And yeah. like, actually I've made friends there now as well. The nearest town is Lewisburg, and, which I love. And it's near the sea, and you walk the sea every day, and then you can feel like a frustrated artist. You know, you're the crashing waves, staring into the lot Atlantic. A lot of yeah. pathetic fallacy. Yeah. <laughs> looking, looking for inspiration to hit. But I, and I, but I do when I'm down there, which I don't do here. Take things as signs, you know. Right. If I see a rainbow, then whatever I was working on that day is golden. Like obviously that's nonsense, but I really do because I'm on my own, and maybe you're a little crazier on your own. But um, I never think that way when I'm here. Um, but that. Yeah, so the, the, the idea came from, we were looking for a house, the house we were sitting in now, we bought a year ago, but we had been looking to buy a house for like a year and a half, two years before that. And one time we were going to a house viewing and I was at the house viewing and I was waiting for Colin, my boyfriend, and uh, he was late, and just a few minutes late, but I just suddenly had this image that he had died, like he had crashed his bike on the way and he wasn't going to come to the house viewing. I don't, I'm not usually so apocalyptic about these things, but... Um, 
Yeah, and that was that is the beginning of Grace after Henry. Grace is at this housing and she's waiting for Henry to come. He never comes. He's been in a bike accident. He dies. But then she keeps seeing him everywhere, all around Dublin. And then she meets someone who's really like him and la 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 la. But like, I didn't know where it was going except for that very beginning bit. But it, it, I know it came relatively quickly. And I did feel, even though the end of it was difficult, I felt when I sent it all that it was good. Like I had a quiet confidence that it was good. Um, and I hadn't had that with the first book. So, um, and yeah, that did really well. That got picked up in the States, which was a real career changer for me completely um, in terms of money, in terms of longevity, like knowing that another big market was invested in my career and it enabled us to buy this house. Now, people sometimes get that confused and think the advance was so big I could pay for a house. No, it's just that all of the advance went into the house as well as years of savings and a mortgage and everything else. Yes. So, um, but uh, yeah, and Great After Henry did really well. Uh, like we did, we did much better yeah, I did much better in the first book in English language territories anyway. And so that's great. Is this, I'm going to ask you now, is this Grace After Henry that you said was like a love letter to Dublin as yeah. well as the novel? Yeah. So I think, are all all three novels set in Dublin? No, the first one is 1197 set in London at Heathrow Airport mainly. Okay. But like because people are flying. So half it happens on the ground in London and the other half happens in the air going to right. various destinations okay. wherever you can fly out. But... I wrote it in London because I was living in London at the time. I mean, it could have been any airport. Also, yeah. Heath was big, so I just picked there. But then I just ended up writing loads of Irish characters in. Like, it doesn't really make sense how many Irish characters are in a novel so, set in London. Yeah. But you just... Because you, you write what you know, you know? Yeah, and also, the, the Irish vernacular, the way of speaking, the humour is funny. I can make that funny. And readers find that funny. I would find it much harder to write an English way of speaking yeah. comically, you know, just because I'm not as familiar with it. So after that... I decided not to think about it so logically and just write what I know and Dublin is what I know and Ireland uh, more generally and yeah so Grace After Henry said all over Dublin like it said in a house at the time we'd really wanted to buy near the Phoenix Park but we didn't get and I now know the people that live in that house because Dublin is so small um, and I would love like if Grace After Henry ever got turned into a film we could put a plaque outside it but uh, it's a lot like it's the Danny you know film producers yeah, executive yeah, yeah, directors yeah, 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 just, yeah, yeah. just yeah. putting it out there yeah I actually don't know if it would make a good film to be honest I know I shouldn't say that put in a word uh, to Hugh O'Connor yeah, yeah. Netflix series yeah a, a series the first like they have there is actually someone working on a screenplay for it but I mean I'm not I don't really think it'll come to anything so we'll see all that stuff about adapting stuff is so vague and It'll like, take years to process yeah as well. and like I really think the hit rate is I remember reading before the hit rate is like 1 in 20 20 things that get optioned 1 actually maybe gets mm. made because studios just have so much money it was the big studios that they just buy up stuff so that their rivals won't make it you know mm. so if they don't want to as an artist are you then caught between wanting to see your work put on to, into another art form but also like being happy to just get the money from those rights as well. Yeah. Like, a sense of like having to pay the bills in some way, but also wanting your... Well, yeah. if I thought they were shite, the people, I wouldn't like... There were inquiries on, say, Love No. 27, okay, which has been optioned now by NBC Universal, which is a really big company in the States. Uh, they make really good stuff and they have a track record in what they propose. So what they propose is, what, what do they call it? A romance serial, which is like, say Law and Order is like a crime serial, where like, you you know, some set characters are the same, but a different storyline every yeah. week. And Grey's Anatomy is another example of that, like a medical serial. And they make those. And so 
they I thought they had the ability to do it. Also, the budget would have to be so big to be set in an airport with such a big cast. So I was happy for them, and I don't care. I honestly don't care if they never make it, because every time they they basically I think they gave me ten grand when they bought the option, the option to make it. That expires after eighteen months. Then they bought it again. You know, so like I'm like that's fine. You know, I don't care if you ever make it because it could be crap. So it's not yeah. that I really want it to be made either. You know, yeah. Grace after Henry. I would only let it be made if someone had a really good proposal because I don't think it needs to be put on screen, you know? Now, yeah. if I was impoverished, I might change my mind on that, but I'm not at the moment, so I don't need to do that. And then my latest book, which just came out, Three Little Treats, is the one that I think would work best on screen. And I would love to see that. As do you want to plug that now while, yeah. while we're on the <laughs> segue? No, like, no, no, no. Like, no. like segue into it. No, no well, that was my next question was the latest book. Do you want to talk to us a little bit No, well, yeah, yeah, it's fine. But it's um, it's set on a version of the road I grew up on, which is a cul-de-sac in, in Drumcondra. I changed the name because my mum went ballistic about um, it, people knowing that it was based on her road. But I have said, I've said loads of interviews or see BBC, whatever, and I on all of them I have said that it's based on the road I grew up on, so there was no need to change the name because I just keep telling everyone. Um, so uh, it's based on the road I grew up on, and it's about three new families or people that move into the road over the course of a year, and they all, it's basically about the neighbourhood um, and the connections between them all, between these three women, and there's a WhatsApp group that intersperses it, which is like the women on the road have a WhatsApp group, which the women on my mum's road have, and it's meant to be about poker, but it's actually about gossip. And so they're all just keeping an eye on the neighbours looking out the window. So every few chapters you get one of these WhatsApp um, exchanges. But it's different. It's not... The first two... I don't... There were versions of love stories, I guess. This one isn't. And it's what they call suburban suspense, which is a term I'd never heard of until about two months ago. Um, but it's like Leanne Moriarty, that, um, Big Little Eyes, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Anyway, that is... I would love to see that on screen, most of the three of them. So, and... Uh, but we'll see. Usually it takes a few months after it comes out to see if there's any interest. And it won't be published in the States until June of next year. So. Available in all good Irish bookshops. Yes, yeah, like yeah. the Book Centre Waterford. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously you mentioned there before that you're the arts correspondent for the Sunday Times. Mm. So anything in recent times catching your eye music-wise, film-wise, book-wise? Well, like, I wish you could talk about before, like two months ago, because, so I'm on maternity leave. Um and it's not just that it like it's having a child thing is like i just am able to like i said i just started reading again a week ago which for me is mad i have been watching tv so actually i'll come back to that but i just always remember my parents who are really big consumers of culture um really into the arts in general my mom is a big reader my dad loves visual art they go to the theater a lot they're into all the cinema all that stuff um and they, they always were, but there's a big gap in their knowledge. It's like a five year period where they had their three kids. There's just a blackout and they don't like, remember years ago, I mentioned The Bodyguard, the, this well-known Whitney Houston yeah, film. Yeah. No, they didn't know because that happened during the time when they had three small children yeah. and they just consumed nothing. So I fear that I'm entering that time. I mean, I can't for my career, but um, yeah, it's a last few. So anyway, so like, I went to the cinema on Monday for the first time without the baby and uh, I saw Joker, which was brilliant. Oh, sorry, it was brilliant to go to the cinema. The film I thought was good. Have you seen no, it? No, I've seen it. I've seen it. You've seen it? And? I thought it was good. Um, not a masterpiece like everyone's making it out to be. Um, I thought the plot was a bit thin, but Phoenix is amazing. Cinematography is amazing. 
um, scores made them. So you enjoyed it? I enjoyed it, but it's, it didn't blow me away. Mm. Um, like, I felt like also the climax was a bit lacklustre. The kind of riots or? Yeah, I don't know. The, 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 plots. There was the one scene at the end. Um, but then after oh, that, I was a bit anticlimactic. Actually, yeah. No, I thought, oh, I liked the ending. I made me realise that I, and I think this is the point that like, society is only one big event away from like anarchy yeah um and and that has happened in other countries where say taxes increase or uh, it's happening in chile right yeah, now. Exactly. they brought up the price of the trains and now they're setting fire to and them. that's exactly yeah. it yeah and uh exactly and in ireland i don't know the nearest we've probably come has been water charges um but you probably have to push it a bit harder here but that it is possible that everyone would just descend into anarchy that's kind of that I thought the film did really well because it's a comic book movie, but that seemed possible, you know, that, mm. that kind of edge of it. But it was just so grim. It was so unrelenting. Yeah. It's like a series grim. of unfortunate events. Yeah. Sometimes. I just like like everyone's so mean to him. I mean, this is so basic, but I was like, is there any levity in this? And I was between going to see that and Hustlers and now I kinda of wish I'd gone to see Hustlers, but um you can't have it all. Uh, and but TV I have been watching and I TV was always my weakest point in terms of like mm. culture stuff I just wasn't into TV really that much uh, but now I'm watching loads of it because I can do that with a baby on my knee um, and I love Succession um, have, are you watching that? I haven't I've been told to yeah. um, I was in I was in with Today FM yesterday I'm, doing, I'm on placement in there Okay. and even Matt Cooper who that's like I'm working with the last mm. word and he's in my ear and like multiple people in the office are in the, in my ear to start it I've been like I've been given the outline of the plot it does seem very it's amazing very I mean it's, it's I take it to be loosely inspired by Rupert Murdoch and yeah um, that's I think that's the general consensus yeah, yeah. Um, you know, of course I'm sure they would say no not at all in fact they have said no they not have at to all. for legal reasons uh, yeah. I'm sure <laughs> but I would think it is I just think it's brilliant it is the best thing I've seen since The Wire I think it's so good it's Shakespearean and um, like we watch it and we watch the first we've watched both seasons now and we watch it every week and then we rewind frequently now partly because sometimes he's a screaming baby now and we have we missed up but also because it's just so fucking good and you i'm like i and i watch tv i watch and i consume stuff differently now like i consume stories and i try to deconstruct it a little bit but also the dialogue is so good there's so little dialogue but they say so much that we often rewind to like watch another exchange i mean i don't do that with tv you know yeah. and in this day and age lots of people are on their phone while they're watching tv so the idea that you're double watching is quite rare so yes succession um what else um and like I'm a huge reader, so I mean most big books from the past year I have read. But what did you think of um, the Testaments? I didn't read that. No. No, and I don't know. And the whole thing about the Booker as well, mm. big controversy at the moment. I, I wish they'd given it to one person. Yeah. I think it's kind of shitty. Like those rules, as Monica says in Friends, the rules help to control the fun. Yeah. Um, but I do. I think like there's some something prestigious about the Booker Prize, and so they should keep the prestige, the prestige of. Of how it's run yeah. of, of the organization also like is it uh, six on the short list or seven six i think and um, so if you've got two that are they say are really worthy for consideration then you're really saying the other four weren't like that they're just filler you know and i feel and that has really not only has it kind of diminished what winning means because you now have to share it with someone it's diminished what it is to be shortlisted i think mm. because it says they weren't worthy of consideration but these two were um, and I, one of the judges, was it in the Guardian? One of the judges wrote a piece and said that, like, 
you know, consideration for Margaret Atwood was her lifetime of work, which yeah. is true, but that's not what the book is about. That's what, yeah. That's, that's what a, the Nobel that, Prize is about. Yeah, that's you know? a big complaint that people had was that it seemed like they were giving it to her for The Handmaid's Tale as well yeah, as The absolutely. Testament. Yeah, absolutely. Basically giving her for across the two books rather than just The Testament. Yeah, and the Oscars do that sometimes. Mm. Like, someone makes a crap film but because they made a good film 20 years ago, they win. You because, know? like, if we look back in 20 years' time and this person didn't get an Oscar in their lifetime, it'll be seen as a sham. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's not, that's like tough chickens, you know? Like, that's not how it works. It's for one single... Um, body of yeah, work, like you wouldn't you know? see this in other areas. Like people don't look back and say, "We'll just give Stephen Jarrett Premier League medal because he yeah. didn't win one when he was playing, but he probably deserves one." And actually, this doesn't happen in sports. I mean, you get lifetime achievements, um, yeah. and that's a different thing. But I think I I didn't watch the footage of the win, but people say from the commentary that Margaret Atwood was seemed embarrassed by it. Mm. The thing is, she doesn't need to win, you know. No. Where whereas the other Bernadine, mm-hmm. I can't uh, yeah, she uh, that would be a big for her like I mean the book I went to look for the book um, I think it was in Hodges figures and it wasn't there because they didn't have that many copies you know So and then obviously it sold out yeah. um, instantly and um, so I know they ordered more in them but available in the book centre Waterford um, yeah <laughs> sorry that's the last one how often do you work there are you there uh, to go home every weekend? weekend and then I work full time over the summer okay well I have been for the past three and a half years okay so it's yeah like my mum got me in there she's good friends with my manager Catherine She's um, very useful, your mum, isn't she? Oh, she's... Oh, she knows open, all the people. Opens doors uh, where I didn't even know doors were. Um, yeah, no, she's great. Yeah. I've met a lovely woman. Lovely woman. Cooks a good feed. She yeah. what? She cooks a good feed. Oh, does she? Yeah. Good, yeah. good, 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 good. Just what a little appreciation segment for, <laughs> yeah. for my mum. Uh, Anthony, you've mentioned your love for 80s teen movies. <laughs> yes. So we were thinking of having a little quiz. Oh, great. Okay. Um, yeah. Might have cut this out a bit, but yeah, we'll, we'll chop it. And I will say this uh, I think I said before, yeah, I can do my mastermind subject. Yes, but mastermind subjects include Lucia Joyce, 20th century visual art, Irish visual art, 1980s teen movies, or Dawson's Creek. Yes, uh, but it has now been a long time since I've watched an 80s teen movie, but anyway. Sure, if the segment's no good, we can cut it out. Go for it, go for it, I can take it. So, Anthony, you've expressed your interest in 80s teen movies as one of your mastermind topics, so mm. I've pulled up a wee quiz here. I just uh, say I had no time to prepare for this <laughs> yeah, before we, I ended up getting none right. We okay. kind of doorstepped you with yeah. this, but... Yeah. Right, so we'll ask about 10 questions, see how we get on. Um, what object does John Cusack oh, lift on <laughs> in the most famous scene of Say Anything? Oh, a boombox, like a big stereo over his head. Correct. Pretty in Pink was filmed at the same high school as which other teen movie? The Breakfast Club? Nope. Um, I'm just guessing. Oh, um, uh, Pretty in Pink, I can picture the high school. 16 Candles? Nope. Okay, don't know. Right. What's the answer? Grease. Oh, oh no, wow. I would never have gotten that. Grease is not an 80s teen movie. Anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stand by me. Okay, this is an easy one. Um, Stand by me is based on a book called The Body by what famous author? Uh, Stephen King. Stephen King. Okay. I think um, you mean correct. Well done. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. <laughs> um, what song is playing during the parade scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Oh. Oh, what song? Oh, you should know this one. I know, and I can picture it, and he gets up. It's top my, of the float. It's my karaoke song. <laughs> yeah, it's like is it a love song? 
I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't no, no, no. Oh, I don't know. It's going to bug you. I don't know. Don't tell me. Can we come back to that? Okay. No, I... Because uh, I can see the trumpets going. Um, it's bugging her, isn't it? And then yeah. marching. I can see it. Anyway, go on, go on. <laughs> um, okay. Which shoe brand became famous after being featured in Fast Times at Rougemont High? Oh, I don't know. Uh, Vans? Correct. Ah, wow. great. It just seems like a stoner shoe. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was my guess. No, that worked. And that's, if that's not a ringing endorsement for Vans, I'm not sure what is. Um, what David Bowie song is quoted at the beginning of The Breakfast Club? Uh, Heroes. Wrong. No, wait. Uh, Changes. No, fuck no. Yeah, damn it. <laughs> Uh, you tell us. Uh, yeah. Okay, and we'll finish off with in which movie does Tom Cruise dance in his underwear? Um, risky business. Correct. Um, no. Do you want to get me back Fair to that? Spider Spooler. Can I phone a friend? Like, I do you want a hint? Uh, I give uh, you a hint. He's going to book you. Think four lads from Liverpool. That's just too easy. Being the Beatles? Yeah. But that doesn't, I can't actually, that doesn't, it's a Beatles song. Mm, but it's not a love song. Not traditional. Like, it's more of a no, love song. Yeah. More about. It is about, you know, get up and being with a girl. I don't know, I don't know. I don't twist know. and shout. Ah, twist and shout. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. not a love song. You're correct. Yeah. Um, right, so. That was okay, was right? Well, For yeah. no prep. Yeah, it was okay. So, to bring it back one more time to the arts thing before we wrap up. Mm. So, it seems that you are a bit of a cinephile, anyways. You say you do read everything. So, if I could ask you to narrow it down, your favourite, you know, Book, film, music, TV show. Um, I think those things change, right? I'm, st- like, I'm stepping on the toes of Matt Cooper's um culture club segment here, but yeah, anyway. Step. I mean, no one ever. That idea is never original. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. So, and no one owns it. Like, actually, I write a column, um, or I did in the Sunday Times every second week called Culture Vulture, and another newspaper then started a column another big Irish newspaper started a column called Redacted. Culture Vulture but yeah <coughs> Irish Times but uh, Redacted I'm not included that I'm sorry but you can't you can't own that I don't own the phrase Culture Vulture so it's ridiculous obviously they're allowed to call it anyway they changed it since um, so no one owns that stuff uh, so okay I think there is like okay I actually think this, this question is um problematic as it were and because I think there's a difference between and anything your favourite and the best so like you might have something that you love because you watched it as a kid or whatever mm. but you would critically objectively not say it's the best so so The Breakfast Club I I usually say The Breakfast Club is my favourite film but Paris, Texas is the best film Okay. you know what I mean like I, I love The Breakfast Club but I don't think it's maybe uh, it's not as beautifully made and brilliantly made so we'll as go Paris, with your, your favourite right then. okay Okay, so, so Breakfast, Club, Breakfast for Club for Film. Um, then Book. Like, okay, can I get Apart from your three, yeah, your, oh, your own three. Yeah, my own, imagine the ego. Um, okay, Runners Up would include, I'm, I'm going to give an actual answer, uh, John Mamble's Ghosts, Marion Key's uh, Rachel's Holiday, and Donna Tartt's Secret History. But honestly, the winner is the third Harry Potter book, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Wow, okay. It is amazing I love Harry Potter like I read the first four Harry Potter books four times fifth one three sixth one twice seventh one once and I can't really say that about other books mm. you know and I think Prisoner of Azkaban is brilliant it would have been my favourite in the series I think I think yeah. I prefer Chamber Secrets oh no one and two are just I mean they're great obviously but I feel yeah. like they're things to get to to get to the real story I love Sirius Black 
that character. Right, yeah. And Prisoner of Azkaban is his book, so I think it, that's it's about that. Um, but I, I can't speak to the films. I don't know. I haven't seen all the films. Uh, so that'll be her book, I guess. And then what other areas TV are there? Uh, Dawson's Creek would be historically although now that I'm on maternity leave and can watch TV I've been watching back Dawson's Creek because it's all on the RT player but I'm watching it back when the RT player works which isn't all the time um, and I think I might be too old for it um, really? yeah so I think those days might be behind me because I've always given that answer because I was watching it and I was like oh god I'm like nearer to the pa- way nearer to the parents age than <laughs> like the kids age I was like the time has come um, I, I, I guess in recent times I would say Succession um, I love Frasier yeah well. uh, anyway yeah there, there and it's hard with music do you say artist or album or single yeah or but... song album uh, maybe Joni Mitchell's Blue I think maybe that's the album I listen to the most um, and Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, the band would all be up there for like artists. That mm. era of music in general, I love. I also like the National. Um, and Laura Marling, and oh my God, like anyway, you could go on. But uh, I think I'd say Blue um, for an album. And a song? No, like do you have a favourite song? Does anyone have a favourite song? I have certain times. Yeah, yeah I have reading favourite songs at certain times, but I always maintain that Don't Look Back in Anger is my favourite song of all time. Okay. Because like, I got into Oasis when I was around 15 or 16 and then I ended up singing Don't Look Back in Anger as part of the transition year show in my school. Okay. Um, as the guy. Oh, did you? That was like, you were meant to be. Yeah, that was yeah. like a point that we bonded on when we first met, yeah. Um, and so that's why it always kind of, it just holds that kind of sentimentality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll always, that's, that's I'll always a good go back song. It, yeah. That's a good song. So, but you would say that then if someone asked you your favourite song, you would say See, that. See, I have like anger. songs that I listen to right now that I listen to a lot, yeah. but like they come and go with Don't Look Back in Anger and Oasis in general are always one that I'll go back to no matter what. What I like to do is, I won't do it anymore, but like, when it's the sixth year in school, fifth year in school, first year in college, make playlists and then they hold some significance. Yeah. yeah. From Smolsey. Kind of oh, you're so much younger than me. Well, I thought <laughs> we made mixed CDs, and then the generation before me made mixed tapes. So, uh, yeah, we make playlists. Mm. Um, but yeah, favorite song. Don't know. Okay. Sure, we go all day. My boss. Yes. Leave it there. Okay. Um, you've been great. And look, if you want to promote your your book again. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Buy any books. Read any books. Use libraries. It's grand. Um, yeah. Go to the book center in Waterford. Exactly. And yeah. if you are buying a book, buy it from the book centre in Waterford. <laughs> we do deliver nationwide. Ethna, um, thanks a million for being a guest on the show. Yeah, well, thanks for coming to my house. This has been In Conversation with Ethna Shorehall. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.